0: Today's Bible reading is from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and then verses 12 to 17. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out violence, and you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Then from uh, verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, He sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net and destroying nations without mercy? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, if we can uh, reflect on on this question, it is my privilege to be with you. Um, I uh, hope that as we look at this, we will be able to hear God speaking to us through his word. The question itself, does more tolerance and less judgment equal a better world? It's a hard question to answer, and here's why. Maybe I'll, I'll illustrate it this way. I used to be minister in a small city church. Uh, when I say it was a small city, the city of Dundee, 150,000 people. For a country boy, I thought that was a big place until I met someone from Shanghai. Um, but we got, we got a lot of Chinese students who started coming to the church. And they usually came from uh, mainland China and they came to do medicine. And they had learned English, obviously, because they weren't being taught in, in Mandarin. And when they first went on the wards of the hospital, they would, I would invariably go and speak to them, and they would be a bit depressed because they'd learned English, and they couldn't understand a word that anyone from Dundee was saying. And they said, we thought we learned English. We don't know any English. And I said, no, no, you've got it wrong. You understand English and speak English perfectly. It's the people here who've got such an accent and have changed meanings of words and everything. It's like a different language. Now, their confusion is the same as our confusion today because what's happening in our society is the way that we use words, it it changes. To give you just one example, the word, if, if... 60 years ago, if you used the word gay, it meant happy. Now it means something different. And that's true when it comes to this question, the word tolerance. What does tolerance mean, and what does judgment mean? And I suspect that even here, and those of you who are watching online, I suspect that all of us will have different ideas, and so I want us to take some time to think about this, and to think about it from a biblical perspective, and remember this. The Bible was not written, it's not the product of a 21st century Western mindset. God's word speaks to all cultures. And as we look at this, we, I hope that we will see that what the Bible has to say applies to every single culture. Now my answer would be this, and I'll, uh, I'll come back to this at the end does more tolerance and less judgment equal a better world? I'm kind of avoiding the question by saying it depends what you mean by tolerance, and it depends what you mean by judgment, and also it depends what you mean by better. But nonetheless, my answer would be more godly tolerance and less human judgment would certainly make for a better world. So let's uh, explain that as we go along. And I was conscious this morning that I felt I had too much to say, so I spoke too quickly. So I'll try not to do that again, uh, just now. And that was in the in the earlier service. Now, tolerance itself—what is tolerance? The ability or willingness to tolerate the existence of opinions or behaviour that one dislikes or disagrees with. There's an intolerance that is wrong and that is dangerous. I remember being told by one man in a church that I was serving in, he said, I don't like Pakistani people. And I don't want to be in a church with Pakistani people. And I said to him, well, you can't stay as a member of this church because that's racist and we don't tolerate racism here. And he was quite horrified. But I said, no, you can't do that. There are some kinds of intolerance that are appalling and wrong. When we started the church and it began to grow, there were no children. My two children were the only children. And as it began to grow, we got more children coming. And I remember one lady saying, even as the church was growing, she said, this place has become like a playground. And I laughed because one of the old elders said to her, well, before we had peace and quiet, but it was the peace of the graveyard. Don't be so intolerant of the children. So we all have different things that we tolerate or don't tolerate. Some intolerance is wrong and bad, and some is right and good. So how do we know? And that's the point of what we're looking at. Some people argue that intolerance arises out of religion, and that is true, that can often happen. You will often find religious intolerance. On the other hand, other people argue And the Bible would argue that intolerance arises out of human sinfulness, and that includes religious intolerance. So we're going to look at a couple of questions, mainly from this book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a book that was written about two and a half thousand years ago. So it's an old book. There's a kind of snobbery in today's society that says if it's old, it can't be any good. But, you know, I read things like Confucius, or I read uh, the Greeks, Plato and Aristotle. I, I read the Bible and other things that are very old, and to, to assume that because they're old, they're not wise is or, or not good enough for today, that's, that's what we call chronological snobbery. But Habakkuk was a prophet. He, a prophet in Old Testament times was God's spokesperson to God's people. But Habakkuk's a little bit different because we get Habakkuk's wrestling with God with these big questions, and I think that is very helpful for us. So let's go to the first of these big questions, which help us with this idea of tolerance. How long, Lord, must I call for help but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? You see, we like the idea of a God who tolerates, don't we? The French philosopher Rousseau said, Le Dieu me pardonne, parce que c'est son métier, God will forgive me because that's his job. That's what God does. And sometimes in church, a lot of churches, you get taught this very insipid view of God. It's a God who doesn't care a God who will forgive you whatever you do. Sometimes you will get people who will go and do terrible things and then pray for forgiveness and say, well, God will forgive me. I can go and do this thing. They intend to do it and they say that God will always forgive me because that's what God has to do. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, if we lived in a world with that kind of God, it would be horrible. There would be no justice. So, Habakkuk asks the question, not God, why is there intolerance? But actually, God, why do you tolerate wrong? Why is this allowed to happen? There are situations which seem to demand God's intervention. Society goes further away from God's Word, and the witness of the church is ineffective to halt it, and it appears as though God is not answering the prayers of His people. I've been doing for the past 18 months something for uh, an online Christian group called Christians United, basically doing daily and then weekly prayer notes about the COVID situation. How long, O Lord? How long? The main problem for Habakkuk here is not plague or disease, but it's what he calls Hamas, which is the word for violence violence that's designed to hurt and harm, injustice, suffering, strife and conflict. He's looking and Jehoiakim, King Jehoiakim was on the throne and he was only out to make a name for himself. Unlike his father, his father had been a good person. His father had been a godly man who seeked to serve God and he had gone the opposite way. Habakkuk is doubting God's ability to save both his power and his willingness. There were so many promises about God saving and he doesn't seem to be answering them. Now, what Habakkuk is doing is he's not censoring God. He's not saying, God, you have to answer to me, but he is saying that although God is sovereign and just, I've got questions. Romans 9:20 says this, who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? And we don't question God in that way but this is what happens we believe that god is just we believe that god is all powerful we believe that god is love and then we in our experience experience suffering experience injustice and see wrong how can that be how can what we believe about god and what we see in experience how can these things be and that's what he's asking why do you tolerate wrong now, let me say it is not wrong to ask questions. In fact, if you have never, if you are a Christian and you have never said, Lord, why, why is this happening? I think you're not thinking. I think there's something wrong. I think if your attitude is, oh, I don't care, everything will work out all right, it's almost like you're not human. You, you, you don't care. Of course you care. Why is this happening? Some of you and some of us have experienced a great deal of suffering in life, and it seems so unjust and so unfair most of the time. Why do you tolerate long? In, in society, in Habakkuk society, there was violence, conflict, wrong, destruction. The law was paralyzed. There was corruption and exploitation. That seems to me an increasing direction which we're going in in our society. You see, the question that's being asked comes from a misunderstanding of Christianity and a misunderstanding of what we are as human beings. It's people saying, well, actually, if it wasn't for religion, we'd all be very tolerant, we'd all live in this wonderful society. Actually, what's happening in our society is we're becoming more intolerant, not more tolerant. And so I think that it's right for us to ask, why does justice Injustice, rather, go unchecked. He has told you, O man, what is good. Micah 6, verse 8. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's a big, big question. Lord, why do you tolerate wrong? There is no question that God, if he wanted to, could get rid of all that wrong right now. So why doesn't he? Which brings us on to... The next question, says he, hopefully, your eyes are too pure. Oops, I've gone too far again. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Here's the thing. God doesn't. God hates evil. God hates wrongdoing. Do you know, and and you want that to be the case, don't you? What kind of human being would you be if, for example, you were aware of a child who's being severely abused and you said, oh, that's okay, I'll tolerate that. What kind of society would we be if we did that? Women who are being abused. Men who suffer injustice. Why would, why would we say, oh, we'll just tolerate it? That doesn't make any kind of moral sense So Habakkuk gives the answer, and it begins with the character of God. He tells us that God is holy, that he is too pure to look on evil, that he cannot tolerate wrong. He tells us that this is the message, 1 John 1, 5. We have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. Now sometimes when we have doubts and fears, the greatest fear and the greatest doubt is this. It's in the words of Douglas Copeland, the Canadian author, novelist, he's not a Christian, but he said this sometimes my greatest fear is not that God does not exist, my greatest fear that he exists and he doesn't care for us. Well the idea of a God who is evil or wrong, that's what the devil says to us. The devil right from the very beginning uh, said to Eve, did God really say, this is not right, God, how can God, do, you know, and so we judge God by our standards, but our standards go all over the place. We need to understand, we begin with the fact that God is holy and God is good and does not tolerate evil, that he is eternal, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath of the everlasting arms, that he is personal. He says, the Lord, my, my Lord, the, 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 the covenant God, The Babylonians tended to believe only in themselves, but we're talking about a God who exists and who is there, the God who is there, not just a figment of our imagination or something that is made up, and yet still a God who is personal. Oh, Lord, my God, says the psalmist, Psalm 7 verse 1, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. And he talks about the God who is the rock, that he is consistent and steady, because one of the problems we have with toleration in our culture and society is what we tolerate today, we may not tolerate in five years' time. In fact, changes occur very quickly. Fifty years ago, things that were not tolerated or not even illegal, were not even legal, now are celebrated. And you can argue the rights and wrongs of that. There are words that you and I use just now that if you use them in five years' time or someone goes over your social media profile, you will be condemned because all of a sudden, you can't use these words anymore. In fact, it gets very confusing like I was saying very at the very beginning. The way that language is being confused and messed around, it's like we're living in the days of the Tower of Babel. Sometimes people just keep quiet because you don't, you don't know what you can say or what you're supposed to say or what you're allowed to say. I remember uh, being asked to go to school to speak and one of the teachers said to me, I want you to come David because you, you can say whatever you want and you do say whatever you want and I admire you for it but I have to keep quiet about so many things. It's strange how this has happened in our culture. So the point anyway is that God does not tolerate evil because God is holy, he's eternal, he's personal, he's real, he's the rock. And he's very different from the evil that Habakkuk describes, the picture of the fish. What he's saying? He's saying that people are being treated like fish in the sea. Fish to be played with, made sport of. Human beings are being dehumanized by those who are seeking self-gratification or economic advantage. I find it astounding that in the 21st century, there are more slaves in Australia than there have ever been in Australia's history. That there are more slaves in the United Kingdom than there have ever been in the United Kingdom's history. Our society is not progressing, our society is regressing. And we need to be, be aware of that. He talks about the rich and powerful living in luxury and enjoying the choicest food, eating off the flesh of the people and nations he destroys, rejoicing in the power of their military weapons rather than rejoicing in God. He talks about how they engage in pagan worship. Major Babylonian gods were portrayed as fishing for people to eat them. Jesus talks about fishing for human beings to free them. The Assyrians often put a hook in the lower lips of their captives to show that they were slaves. They were caught like fish. And so Habakkuk, in the midst of this horrendous situation when God's people are being treated like this, says, How long, oh Lord? Why will you do this? Why is this continuing? And I can think of so many instances of injustice in in this city, in this country, throughout the world, that you say, Lord, how long? Why do you tolerate this? Well, what is the answer? God doesn't tolerate evil. Why do you tolerate evil? The answer is given, God doesn't tolerate evil. Okay, so what's happening? Why is God not destroying the earth right now? Why does He allow this to continue? Because He's patient, and He wants to save people. And uh, that brings us well, let me say this. He's not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. Well, and by that standard, God would wipe out everybody because as Solzhenitsyn says, the dividing line between good and evil goes through the midst of every one of us. So it's very important for you to grasp this. And it's very important for me to grasp this as a Christian. If you came into the church here And your thought was, I thank you, Lord God, that I'm in church. I'm not like other people. Or you look along the pew and you see somebody and you know they've done something. And you say, "Ah, I'm glad I'm not like them. You haven't understood what Christianity is. And you haven't understood who God is. And you haven't understood who you are. Because each of us, yes, there is some measure of good within us in the sense that we are made in the image of God. But all of us are tainted by evil and we can find ourselves doing incredibly wrong things. Um, I studied at university the rise of Nazi Germany, and one of the things that caused me to become a Christian was asking the question, why? Why Auschwitz? Why these things? And I came to realize that the Nazis were human beings like the rest of us, and that if I had been in the same circle, we all like to think that you know, we would all have been against slavery. We would all have been against the Nazis. We would have all, no, we wouldn't. We far too often just go along with what's in the culture. And I think that that is a problem here. And so we've got this issue that if God doesn't tolerate evil and wants to get rid of evil, then he has to get rid of us. How can he get rid of evil and save us? And This is the answer that Christianity gives and bear with me because it it, it is the answer to this question of of tolerance. God so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now you see what's happening here. God is not saying oh well it doesn't matter I'll just forgive you all anyway. Evil doesn't matter. Nor is he saying, well, evil does matter, and I'm going to destroy you all. He's saying, evil does matter. I'm going to deal with evil in order to save you. And it's through the cross that he does that. The question is, how can God forgive sin and be just? And the answer is the cross. God is patient and tolerant in the sense that, yes, um, for those of you who've watch Lord of the Rings or read the book, remember that the world is divided into two groups of people, those who've read Lord of the Rings and those who are going to read it. Um, It's a fabulous book. But for those of you who've seen Lord of the Rings, there's a bit at the end where I think it's, uh, well, it's one of the hobbits. I think it's Frodo or Sam. No, it's Sam, actually, who says, what's going to happen at the end? Will everything wrong be put right? And that, yes. Yes. That is the answer. Everything wrong will be put right. But it's a deep problem as to how it gets dealt with. And and what is being said here is that God hates sin, but he's being patient with the sinners. There is a, a, a grave in a graveyard in England which recites on the headstone what happened. A man had stood out and said, God, if you exist, strike me down now. And he got hit by lightning and died. Uh, that's very unusual. That's not normally how things happen. There are plenty of people walking around ignoring God, saying, oh, I don't care. God's not listening. God's not there. God is being patient with you. He's being patient with you, giving you many opportunities to come to him. So let's take this back to the the. The question and take it back to where we are in society, and let's think about it from the point of view of Romans. Oops, no, I want to go back one. Sorry. No, sorry. Let's look at this actually from a man called Douglas Murray. We'll come on to Romans in a minute. Douglas Murray is one of my favorite writers. He's not a Christian. In fact, he used to describe himself as a gay atheist. I think he's now agnostic. He's a fascinating writer with a lot of insights, and in his book, The Madness of Crowds, which is a brilliant book, he has this incredible chapter that when I read it, I I shouted out hallelujah, and for a Presbyterian to shout hallelujah, that's very rare, I was just amazed at it. And what stunned me, he calls it an interlude, and it's about forgiveness, and he says this. He's basically arguing in today's society we lack forgiveness. In some manner with which we still haven't begun to wrestle, we've created a world in which forgiveness has become almost impossible, in which the sins of the Father can easily be visited upon the Son. And we remain remarkably unconcerned to create any mechanisms or consensus over how to address the resulting conundrum. The consensus for centuries was that only God could forgive the ultimate sins. But on a day-to-day level, the Christian tradition, among others, also stressed the desirability if not the necessity of forgiveness, even to the point of infinite forgiveness. How ironic that in a society which says it is based on toleration, our society is so intolerant of people's sins and mistakes and things that they have done in the past. And particularly with the internet and social media, If you go into politics, for example, or you're a celebrity, and someone finds a view that somewhere, somehow, you said something that's now considered to be wrong, that's the end for you. You get canceled. It is really quite funny. And sometimes, to be honest, I see this coming in in the church. I remember one time a young couple came to see me, and they'd been working in our church, and they they said to me they were unhappy about something. And I said, yeah, I get get that. because they were doing student work and I'd announced something about student work and hadn't told them. And I said, I was wrong. I'm sorry, I was just inconsiderate. And it was really, and the guy tried to make an excuse to me. He said, oh, you were were tired. I said, no, no, forget that. Tiredness is not an excuse. I was just wrong. And then I looked on the face of of the lady and her face was very much, I said to her, is it three strikes and you're out? And she looked at me again and I thought, man, it's one strike I'm out. One mistake. Imagine your pastor makes one mistake, does one thing wrong. We have to learn forgiveness. I mean, it, I was, like I was saying to the kids, if you're, if you're going to exclude everybody who ever does or says anything bad that affects you, you're going to have no friends left. No one's going to talk to you. Most of all, your family. When we live together, we need forgiveness. But our society has forgotten that. And yet, our society has become like Romans. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Our society is a society which invents ways of doing evil and does not tolerate those who dare to question that. It's very interesting. As we reject the Christian roots of our society, you cannot retain the fruits. We will not become a more tolerant society. We'll become a much less tolerant society. In my lifetime, I have experienced this. I've experienced directly cancel culture. I remember going to a university and uh, the university sending me a letter saying, we want a letter, we want a, a text of what you're going to say so that we can approve it. I said, no, you're not getting that. You don't get to tell me what I can and cannot preach. Well, you won't be allowed to come in case you say anything that makes anyone feel uncomfortable. I said, I can't even talk to myself without offending somebody. How am I going to talk to other people? God's word sometimes makes us feel uncomfortable. But I I am very concerned about how intolerant our, our culture is becoming. And I would suggest the solution to all of this is to be found in back to where we were, God so loving the world. We need to come to God to be forgiven. Forgiven people are able to forgive. We can forgive people because we have been forgiven. When you get a grasp and understand how much you have offended against God, what a debt you owe to God, then you realize that what other people have done to you is largely insignificant in comparison. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And here's the thing. This is why Christian tolerance works. We don't excuse evil. We're not people who make no judgment whatsoever. Of course we need to judge. If I'm asking someone to babysit my grandchildren, I need to judge if they're a suitable character. If I'm voting for someone to be a politician, I need to judge, of course I'm going to make judgments. But what I cannot do is make an ultimate judgment about anyone. I cannot go out onto the street, walking down Hamden Road in our tarman, and stepping over someone who's lying drunk in their own urine and then say, oh, that person's scum of the earth. I cannot make that judgment. I know that they are a human being made in the image of God and I know that they're a sinner, but that's true of everybody. And I believe that God alone can make the ultimate judgment. Not me, nor you, nor anyone else. If we want a more tolerant society, we need more real Christianity, not less. If you want to be more tolerant, then you need to come to Jesus Christ. Because without that, you have no basis for discernment, for judgment, or for tolerance. Sometimes, as a pastor, I've had people come. Often, people will come and and say things, and they'll say, I'm this, or I've done this, or I've done that, and they expect me to be shocked. Why would I be shocked? Because I've got the Bible that tells me what human beings are like. I can honestly go to every single human being and saying, Christ is for you. We sang, If God is for us. I can honestly go to every human being and offer Christ to everyone, no matter what sin they have committed. So, answering the question in the way that I answered it before, that if we have godly tolerance, and that means intolerant to sin, but tolerant towards sinners, and less human judgment, where we leave the judgment to God, but we discern between good and evil, and we teach our families and our children to do the same, then we will have a much better society. And actually, there's only two choices in this. If you choose not to follow Christ, you will end up with a much more intolerant society. That's always been the case in human history. If you choose to follow Christ, then you will be more tolerant, and that will have a ripple effect upon others. I was amazed. I'll finish with this one wee story to show you how that works. As a young man, 13 years old, I think, I went on a church Bible camp. I did not want to go. I hated the church, but it was a free camp. So I went, football, I got to play football. But they asked us, you know, you had to do the Bible teaching bit and listen to all of that as well, so I did. And then they asked us to competition to write an essay about the Bible. And I wrote an essay saying why the Bible was rubbish. And they gave me first prize, which was a bit annoying because the first prize was a Bible. (laughs) I just thought, oh great. But what amazed me was this old man, I mean I was 13 years old, and this man was over 90 years old. And he said to me, David, I love your passion. I love what you wrote. And I said, who are you? And where are you from? And he told me his name. He says, it doesn't matter where I'm from, it matters where I'm going. And I care about where you're going. And I'm going to heaven, where are you going? And he was so kind and gracious to me. I was so rude and so abusive. Now, he had every right to clip me around the ears in those days. He had every right to say, I don't want anything to do with that cheeky brat. But he was tolerant and kind and gracious without condoning my sin and without, if you like, refusing to point me to Christ. He pointed me to Christ. And I would say that that's what we need to do. And I want to point you to Christ. May God bless his word to us.